Coming up, it's philosophy talk. But what is this salty discharge? Oh my God, you're crying. This is horrible. Feeling sad after the death of a loved one is now considered a mental disorder to be treated with drugs. Doesn't that suggest psychiatry is just a sham? What will this do? Well, what it does is reaches into your brain chemically and locates your happiest memory chemically and then locks onto that emotion and freezes it chemically. I want a new Are psychiatric disorders just something that Big Pharma made up to sell us more drugs? Diseases of the mind, the philosophy of psychiatry. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Stanford at Philosopher's Corner, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years. Today, we're thinking about disorders of the mind, the philosophy of psychiatry. You know, Ken, there's something a little odd about how psychiatry defines mental disorders by their symptoms rather than their causes. Well, how else would people go about diagnosing psychiatric disorders, done if not by their symptoms? No, no, I'm not talking about diagnosis. You're right about that. But I'm talking about the role symptoms play in defining disorders. In most areas of medicine, a disease isn't identified with the cluster of symptoms that may be used to diagnose it, but with the underlying cause of those symptoms. Suppose you come down with a fever, body aches, and start vomiting. Ooh, that sounds like I got some pretty terrible disease there, baby. Uh, yeah. But which disease? You could have the flu, or food poisoning, or heat stroke, or any of a number of other conditions that have those symptoms on occasion. We need to know the cause before a proper diagnosis can be made. So we do a blood test or urine test or something even more invasive to find out more. That's what makes medicine a science. It identifies underlying causes, not just symptoms. Well, the fairness to psychiatry. The mind is pretty opaque, especially when it's not working properly. And it's a young science, and nobody has a clue, really, to what a lot of the underlying causes are. In the meantime, I mean, maybe defining disorders by clusters of symptoms the best we can do, and we kind of keep working to try to figure out what the underlying causes really are. Well, that's fine, but that's not actually what happens in psychiatry. Take the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Now, that's basically the Bible for psychiatrists here in the U.S. In the old days, it included homosexuality as a mental disorder. Yeah, that was back in the old days. That was like in DSM. But they removed that in the, in the 80s. you got to get with the times, John. The, the DSM, is, is we're in the fifth edition of that thing. Yeah, but even though it's in its latest incarnation, if you read it carefully and work through the de definitions, you can see that they're including things like grief, the normal response to the death of a loved one, as a, quote, depressive disorder. 
It's sort of a joke. No, you, you, you're, not, you're not trying to say that there's no such thing as clinical depression, are you? Some people feel extremely sad all the time and for no apparent reason. They've, there's nothing, it's got nothing to do with the circumstances of their life. It's not like they've lost anyone close to them or got fired or their marriage broke down. They just feel depressed all the time. No apparent reason. Open your eyes. Look at the world. Read the news. Think about human life. Think about the size of the universe and the length of time. Melancholy is a normal response to the world for a rational, thoughtful person. I don't want to get into that, John. <laughs> Look, I'm going to grant you that the DSM has uh, has gotten some things wrong from time to time, and it's revised a lot on the basis of who knows what, but that doesn't mean it's not a scientific uh, document. I mean, scientific progress happens when we throw out old theories that no longer work and replace them with newer, better theories. Maybe that's why the DSM is being uh, revised all the time we're getting better and better at theorizing about things. Nice try, big fella, but you got it wrong. I mean, it's not a theory-laden document at all. There's a methodology to science. One theory replaces another. We go from, you know, things to atoms to strings or God knows what else. When we replace old theories, it's because there's a lot of overwhelming evidence and the theories are testable. But that's not the way the DSM works. I mean, it's just, for one thing, a lot of cultural bias. I mean, being a homosexual, that's a disease. Being gay, oh, that's fine. Uh, the influence of insurance companies who won't pay out unless it's a disorder that you're suffering from. And the drug companies who can sell drugs for something if it is a disorder and get insurance companies to pay for them. It's a political document as much as a scientific document. Uh, you know, but I don't, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It doesn't mean there aren't any real psychiatric disorders and that we can never study psychiatry scientifically. I, I wouldn't buy that. Well, I wouldn't try to sell it to you, but here's an interesting fact for you. Did you know that the symptoms of a mental disorder can be different depending on when and where you were born? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, to investigate the role culture plays in mental health. She files this report. In the early 1990s in China, no one knew much about anorexia. And the few people who were diagnosed with the disorder had very different symptoms than American anorexics. It tend to happen to older women, tended to happen to rural women. Uh, it did not have the fat phobia that's often associated with anorexia. It did not, was not necessarily connected to dieting or wanting to lose weight. That's Ethan Waters, author of Crazy Like Us, The Americanization of Mental Illness. He says unlike in America, Chinese anorexics had somatic complaints, a bloated stomach, a pain in the chest. But that all changed on November 24, 1994. That's when a teenage girl named Charlene died on a busy street in downtown Hong Kong. She was anorexic, and her very public death caught the attention of local media. All these uh, reporters that covered the story largely went to Western experts to find out, well, what is this thing called anorexia, and who does it affect, and what is it like? And, and suddenly, it was only after 1994 that you had this rise of the American version of anorexia. The American version of anorexia defers to the DSM. To be anorexic, you must have, quote, an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. Chinese media ran with that definition, and by the late 1990s, about one out of 10 women in China suffered from that form of anorexia. Once these things become popularized, they get into the media, a celebrity displays the symptom, the symptomology 
acquires a certain gravity. You know, it just begins to pull people into its orbit more and more. The U.S. is still very much in the anorexia orbit. New rumors are surfacing about Mary-Kate Olsen's anorexia. Both Hollywood Life and OK Magazine say that Leah Michelle has developed an eating disorder. Is Ariana Grande suffering from anorexia? Back in the 19th century, female hysteria was a big problem in the U.S. Hysteria, a uterine disease caused by sexual deprivation to which passionate women are particularly susceptible. You have, you know, women by and large, by the tens of thousands, expressing this exceedingly clear disorder. Everyone knew what it was. There, It was so common. Prolonged abstinence from sexual stimulation, it was noted, could produce such symptoms as anxiety, loss of appetite, insomnia, fainting spells, erotic fantasies. Today you're not going to see hysteria in the DSM because those symptoms no longer exist. But that doesn't mean that the women that experienced those symptoms were in any way faking them or lying about them. Those were real symptoms. The doctor saw them, everyone saw them, they felt them, but they were only true in that time and place. So what's the mental illness of the hour now? Well, I think undoubtedly it's PTSD right now. It's so pervasive in our culture, this idea that trauma brings about mental illness in certain ways. Waters says historically, soldiers have returned from war very troubled, but they all came back troubled in really different ways. So if you had shell shock during the First World War, you came back with a series of largely somatic symptoms. So these were muscle tics or sensitivity to touch or fainting or uh, grotesque body movements. Um, in another time and place, if you were a Civil War veteran in the American Civil War, you had the feeling of a weak heartbeat or a pathological homesickness. Today's symptoms of PTSD are less somatic and more cerebral. Night terrors, flashbacks, and anxiety. This idea that something can be real and shaped by culture is very hard for the American mind to understand because we think of ourselves as mentally independent from others, as not being shaped by culture. Waters says until we can understand the role that culture plays in our society's mental health, we will never truly understand mental illness. Whether it's the onslaught of hysteria in the 19th century, or the rise of PTSD today. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. To hear the rest of this program, head to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.